0: So we are in lesson three this morning from chapter two of Sam Renahan's book, Deity and Decree. So this morning and next week, we're going to focus on the negative attributes of God. Now, when we say negative, that might have a certain connotation in your mind, right? Uh, like negative in the sense of bad. And, and that's not what we're trying to portray. So uh, there are no bad attributes with God, right? We're, we're thinking negative in the sense of negation things that are not so in god and, and we'll and we'll get into that here in just a little bit so what i thought would be helpful is like we did with the holy spirit class is to connect ourselves with uh with the catechism so we'll get started this morning and um we don't have to say the the, the bible references i could have i could have taken those out actually it may have been helpful but what we'll do is we'll work on and and memorize this together right this is like a really succinct way to help summarize chapter two of our confession from what our uh uh, uh, Baptist uh, forefathers, four if you will, kind of put together in a very succinct way to help us remember when we think about God. So I'll read the question, and then we will all read the answer together. So question seven, what is God? Answer, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. All right. Awesome. So we will we will continue to work on that. We will have many weeks to get that nailed down and you know solidified, if you will, in uh, in in our brain. All right. So um, we made uh, quite a bit of progress last week and the week before. What I wanted to do was was hit us with a quick summary, uh, right? Just kind of like, all right, let's kind of re digest and then and then and then take some steps forward. So if we remember from The last two weeks. Can we fully comprehend God? Right. No. God is infinite. We are creatures. Right. It's a creator creature distinction. And that's just like, keep that in your pocket. Creator creature. As long as we can remember that, that'll be really helpful. Right. Um, uh, But we but we can truly know God as he reveals himself to us. Right. And as he relates to us as his people. And we know this from his names in scripture and what can be deduced from those names in, in addition to the broader teaching of scripture and, and, and things of that nature when we look at things like Romans eleven thirty six, And then there's some additional tools that we looked at that help us to think about this creator creature distinction right as it relates to reasoning and deductions right. We, uh, Pastor Des went over some of those texts right. God is not a man that he should have regret or God is not a man that he should lie or change his mind. Um, so, so some of those kinds of texts right. And then Trying to, to deduce some of the, the the right proper ways that we think about the Lord right and so some of those tools are that we looked at uh, last week were causation um, right cause and effect negation right or things that are not so and then eminence things that are preeminently so or supremely so like goodness in its supreme uh, supreme concept or idea all right so um, and as we think about um, and, and, that, and that's really going to kind of shape the next, I don't know, several months, six weeks, as we think about um, the, specifically the doctrine um, the doctrine of God, right? So we think about the creator-creature distinction, creature, right? We're made in God's image, and, uh, and, and we make sure that we capture this distance between man and God, right? And so we're saying things by negation that God is not a man, right? And so things that are uh, attributed to man... Uh, right, especially in an imperfection or imperfect state or even sinful state, uh, we want to make sure that those things are denied in God, right? Uh, Negation removes all those imperfections that that, that are a part of our creatureliness, right? And then we think of that idea of eminence, right, the other way, right? We think the creator-creature distinction, we're made in God's image, so there's these good things that God has made us with that are found in God supremely, right? So just understanding the correlation that, that we see there. So there's two passages of Scripture that I, I wanted to put on here this morning as we think about the doctrine of God. And if you will, think of them as like two banners that we're going to put over as we think about the study, right? To orient our hearts back to the Lord. So if um, who would be willing to read Jeremiah chapter 9, uh, 23 and 24? All right, Des. And then who would be willing, uh, willing to read Isaiah 58, 55, Eight through nine, Sabrina. Okay, all right, Des, you want to go, and then and then Sabrina.
1: Jeremiah nine twenty three twenty four. Thus says the Lord: Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this: that he understands and knows me. that I am the Lord, practicing steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight. eight through nine for my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are your ways my ways declares the lord for as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts
0: awesome so i think it's helpful and these would be like two really good scripture verses right to remember uh or, or, or passages i should say because it 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 we're we're slowing down with the Sunday school and we're and we're taking some time to think about our God. We're taking some time to think about the Lord. And what it should do is, right? It should help us to remember who we identify with, who we identify in. And 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 glory in that we understand and know the Lord, right? And and that's what we see in that Jeremiah 9 text so beautifully, right? It's like let these other proud men boast, right? And then it's like fill in the blank. Let them fill in these things. But, but the people of God, let them boast that they know and understand the Lord, right? And just let, let our hearts be captured by that this morning as, as we think about our God. And then, and then as we think about Isaiah 55, right? Eight through nine, it's reminding us of that creator-creature distinction, right? Like we are approaching the holy and we are trying to grasp things that are it's like, it's like trying to hold on to infinity, right? You you don't, and so so there's definitely going to be this tension as we as as we work through these things. And it just thought it was really good, like, and that's okay. Like we just acknowledge, Lord, your your thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and your ways higher than our ways, right? And it and it's and we are glad to get to submit in in worship as we respond to the Lord. So, um, so as we as we think about these things, um. Yeah, it's good that our hearts are are oriented there. So this week and next week, right, we talked about this idea of negation or the negative attributes, right? Not to be misunderstood, but uh, the idea of negation or things that are uh, not so, right? So this morning we're going to hit on um, simplicity, which is the negation of uh, composition or parts in God. That God is not made of of like Lego pieces, right? That God is, is one pure spirit. Uh, and then next week we're going to hit on eternity, that uh, God does not have succession in time, or immensity, uh, that he is not limited by space, uh, immutability uh, with change, uh, impassibility uh, um, specific to any, any passion in God, and then infinity, which is really like any finitude with God. God does not have any limitation. So again, those are all going to be things that stretch our mind, And the best way we can talk about them is literally what they're not, right? To be able to help our creaturely mind try to, you know, wrap arms around it. So so when we think about negation, how should that help us draw near to the Lord, right? How should that help us to draw closer in faith and with affections that love the Lord even more? So I think what this does is it helps us as we contrast our imperfections, or even our creatureliness, right? We see things like our changeability, or our limitations, our finitude, right? How we're confined to time and space, and all of these categories, right? And and then and then and especially as we think about as we think about change, it really helps us to be reminded that God doesn't change; He's not limited, right? And what it does is it strengthens our faith that we're reassured of who our God is, right? Especially when we look at, like, how finite we are and how much we, you know, change and, and struggle or, uh, or, or you know, have ability. And so, um, so yeah, I, I think that is just really beautiful. That As we're reminded, we are creatures. We are not the creator, but we trust in the one who is the creator, who is not limited, right? So just... Because what we're about to do is we're about to go into the deep end, right? So it's always helpful kind of start out up front. Let, let us think about some of these things. So so on your notes, now we're going to think about this idea of attributes. So um, you guys might be familiar, right? Maybe, maybe you're familiar with like A.W. Pink's book, The Attributes of God, or you've heard people talk about the attributes of God. And we think about it, right? And we use this collective term of, of attributes. And, and I think it's helpful, right? Again, as we're slowing down to think about the doctrine of God, we're trying to use precise language. So when we think about the attributes of God, um, we're going to make some qualifications because, again, God is infinite and incomprehensible, and yet he's also revealed himself to us with, with true and real knowledge right, of himself. So when we use the phrase attributes of God, it is something that helps us to distinguish aspects of God to our own mind. Right. And, 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 and these are helpful and important distinctions that we need to make in order for us to really understand uh, who the Lord is. Right. But those distinctions that we make in our mind, we need to make sure that they don't kind of fall into this other category. When we think of attributes in, in, in this sense of like they're made up of like, again, Lego pieces. Right. Where it's like God is 10 percent love you know, 10% justice, 15% holiness, 5%, right, like all, all these different things. And then when you get done, right, you've got, you've got God, right, who's kind of like stacked up in, in pieces. And so we just want to make sure when we, when we use the phrase attributes that we make that nuance. Like, hey, when we use attributes, it's not really like these like multiple pieces of God, but it's different aspects that we're trying to bring out as as we're really trying to understand our infinite and incomprehensible god and yet the god who reveals himself and draws near to his uh, to his creatures. So so I think that's that that's really important and and one of the ways that we that we express it I think helpfully is to say that god is his attributes. Right? Or that his attributes are his essence and they are they are all one. Now I spent a lot of time trying to think about that, and it hurt, right? Because you're like, okay. Because we don't think like that, right? We, we, we think in these categories, and we think of them separate, and yet um, with the Lord, we make these nuances or, or, or distinctions where we talk about attributes, but it's not in that piece part sense. So, um, so another way for us to say that is God is his attributes, right, then then it's better to say that than it is to say that God has attributes, right, that idea of has kind of having this idea of pieces or, or parts. So, um, and so we're going to cover that that's really like the next three chapters. We're going to think about um, three kinds, if you will, of attributes, right, when we use that language. So this week and next week we're going to talk about uh, negation or removing creatureliness, uh, then the following two weeks are going to be uh, of uh, attributes of relation, how God relates to man and then and then lastly uh, it 'll be you know again positive attributes, but not positive again in the sense of like you know favorable and then negative is like unfavorable right positive in regards to what is uh, what the, the good things that are found in man that are that are perfectly. Um, found in God, things, things that we're saying that, that he is, right, versus things that we're saying that he is not. So, so that, that covers this idea of attributes, right, as we kind of get started and, and working our way through. So on your notes, we see under the heading of simplicity. Now, I will say this word simplicity, right, kind of strikes you as odd, right, because when you think of God, in one sense, God is like the most mind-stretching concept for our minds to get around, right? And when we have really tough problems, do we use the term simple? Generally not, right? Normally we use terms like complex and really tough and terse and and things of that nature. Yet, when we use this phrase, and and, and as church history has used this phrase, simplicity, it has this idea of, of simple from the standpoint that it is not with parts. That, that, um, that, that God is simple in the sense that um, He is not made up of pieces and parts, or He is not a composite, right? Where you put multiple pieces and you um, and you and you put them together. So think of it this way, right? To you to use an illustration. Think of water, right? So you got two hydrogen atoms, and then you have an oxygen atom, right? And we put them all together, right? So individually, they're parts, but when they, when they have bonds and they come together, they become something more than what they are individually, right? And they become, uh, they become water. and um, uh, so. But water is something that would be composed of smaller parts. And when you take one part away, Right? You no longer have water, right? And you've got two hydrogens, and I to be honest with you don't remember exactly from chemistry what happens, right? If you lose the bond. I think it just I don't know. So but I think I think that gets to the point, right? That that when when, when we when we put these when we put these things together, right, we, we can think of it in that sense. So God is simple in the sense that he's not like a water, you know, molecule made up of these atoms and bonds that come together, right? Uh, in that sense, he is not composed of pieces. Or parts, and he's not dependent on those parts. Instead, God is one pure essence. He's one essence, one being, um, and he's not dependent on anything. If you will, there is no God sub matter. Right. So, um, so on on your notes, you'll see there's a quote from uh, Louis Burkhoff. So there's there was a couple of like uh, in addition to the book we're going through just a couple of helpful, uh, h- helpful works that I would commend to you. So one of them is Louis Burkhoff. He's got a systematic theology and the best part about it is, it is free online because it's no longer uh, under copyright. So you can find that online. And that was, uh, again, I found that uh, super helpful. So if I can have a volunteer read from uh, the Burkhoff quote, would be willing to read.
1: The simplicity of God, we use the term to describe the state of quality of being simple, the condition of being free from division into parts, and therefore from compositeness.
0: All right, awesome. So, so I think that will be helpful, right? Now, again, we're using language that's probably a little bit foreign to us, but we're trying to connect the way that we think about some of these things and connect it to the history of the church. How have we thought about and used categories and terms? to capture uh, what, is, uh, what, what, what is taking place here. So another way that theologians have expressed this idea, right, from the early church, medieval church, uh, Re- Reformation and beyond, uh, has, has been um, to use this, this phrase or these different phrases uh, that God is a perfect act or pure act free from composition. So it's, a, it's, another, it's another phrase that theologians have used to try to capture this, right? So what, what exactly do they mean when they say a pure act or a, a perfect act, right, to use some of this, some of this language? What, what exactly is it referring to? So first, we need to understand that we're talking about God's essence, right? His being. Okay, so then how does, how, how does using this phrase pure act or perfect act, um, how 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 is that helpful, so, when we think of the term "act, think of it trying to capture these two words right or or, or contrasting these two terms. you have actuality and then potentiality right so something that's actual right in the actual state, and then something that's in a potential state now again, some of these terms it's like okay that's a that's a little confusing so we're going to go back to science right and and use the uh little like physics handbook right here so um, how many of you guys might remember uh, the good old lesson of uh, potential energy and kinetic energy, or energy in motion? Right, uh, going back with some of the like the physics class, right? And the uh, I, I mean, I know it's kind of silly, but I just remember the the picture of like the ball sitting on a table, right? So the ball sitting on the table has potential energy, right? That the, the gravity is going to pull it down if it gets knocked off the table, right? And so um, so with that ball. Right? That potential energy, when it falls, turns into actual energy, right? Because it's actually in motion, it's moving, right? So it changes from being something potential to something that's actual, where it's actually in motion. So when we use those phrase uh, potential or actual, it has that idea, right? Potential is becoming something, right? Coming into fruition of something. And then oh, when, we, when we use the phrase uh, actuality, it's, it's, it's being, being in that state, right? Um, and so we're gonna try to use some of those phrases to try to help capture um, some of this idea of um, uh, uh, pure, uh, pure spirit or, or, or pure act or perfect act. So, um, and this idea of potential, right? Inherent to the, to the use of the word potential is this idea of change, right? So anything that has potential has the idea of change. Now, right, when, when we think about that, right, when like you know, just again, we'll go back to the classroom, right? When we look at a student early on in the semester and we say that student has potential, we're thinking, man, okay, that student keeps that up. He, you know, he or she's gonna be going in the right direction. They're gonna be, you know, putting things together and and and, and continue to develop, right? And and in that sense, their their thinking will be changing, developing, morphing over time, and and their knowledge will continue to advance. But that language of potential is not proper for us when we think about the Lord. Because there is nothing in which the Lord could go to, right? Because God is perfect and he is unchangeable, and we'll see this when we think about the name of God, there is nothing more or nothing better for God to turn into, right? So in that sense, there is no, you know, again, to use a bigger phrase, potentiality. God doesn't have potential, right? Like we, like we talk about a student, because God always has been, is, and always will be in his perfect state of being, the perfect state of I am, right? And, that, and that, again, when we think that, it's just like that, that's hard, right? Because that, that's kind of stretching, stretching, um, stretching on the mind. So, as we as we think of as we think of these ideas, right? Really, when we think about God, who is perfect, who doesn't change, who's always in this perfect state, what it should do is it should um, it should just bring our hearts joy that there is no better version of God, right? There's no there's no like you know God could be better tomorrow, right? And our hearts should find satisfaction in that and joy, knowing that we, as people of God's grace, there's nothing better for us than who God is and as he has revealed himself to us. So as we do theology, as we're thinking through with scripture and uh, thinking through logical you know, uh, syllogisms, deductions, and, and trying to piece all this stuff together, right? Think through coherently as we, as we try to piece all this stuff together. There's a, there's a quote on your notes, um, <clears throat> from uh, John Preston. So he was, he was a Reformed theologian uh, from, the, from, the, from the early 1600s. And, and, and he's working through this idea with the attributes, right? And, and kind of helping us think through this, this idea of simplicity. And again, it's simplicity, maybe in a different sense that, than we normally think of, of simple, right? Right? So, who would be willing to read on your notes on the backside? Who could read that John Preston quote for me? Good. All right, awesome. Thank you, Anthony. We
2: come now to the next attribute, and that is of God. He is without all compl- I gather out of these words, I am what I am. That is, whatsoever is in me, it is myself. I am a pure act, all being a whole, entire, simple, and uniform being without parts, not like to the creature, but for them, for the best of them is the compounded of actions and qualities. But whatsoever is in me, it is myself.
0: Awesome. Thank you yeah so some really helpful stuff there and what i want us to hone in on is in the middle there where john preston says which i gather out of these words i am what i am and that is all that is in god is god right that um and and it is in its perfect and pure form without defect without imperfections and we're going to pick up on this so if, if, if you're looking on your notes right right underneath that, right? Exodus 3.14, we've kind of hit on this between the last Sunday school class and then starting to get into it with what Pastor Des had covered, right? Thinking about in verse 14, when, when God says to Moses, I am who I am. And, and he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you, right? So when we think about, and again, we talked about that last week, that how, how can we know God, right? How do we know who he is? It's an infinite, incomprehensible God. How do we know him? Well, we know him as he's revealed himself to us. And what is the, one of the primary ways that God has revealed himself to us? It is through his name, right? And through the different names that he gives himself. And so it's, it's really good as we think about these things. Now again, that's not the only way, right? Because there's, there's other things, right? There's, 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 um, and we're going to look at those over the next month or so. But I think that's really important, right? Because this is like another one of those texts, Exodus 3.14. I am who I am. That God always is, right? And, there, and there's just so much, right? That when we try to unpack that to help our minds understand what's going, uh, what's going on there, right? There is no becoming in God, right? Just like we go from like, you know, being children to being adults, there is never this becoming, right? This, this, this aspect of development. And I think it's important. So uh, next on your notes, um, there's a Herman Bovink quote. And so before we read it, I just wanted to do like a quick pause. So um, uh, so a conversation I had, I don't know, a long time ago uh, was talking with, um, it was a conversation with Sam Renahan, or not Sam Renahan, with um, Sam Waldron, sorry. Uh, multiple Sams. So, with Sam Waldron and asking him, like, alright, you know, like, you've read, like, systematic theologies for a super long time. Who would you recommend? Right? And so his recommendation was Herman Bovink, Right? If you could get, like, a systematic theology set, he would, you know, he said, like, hey, Herman Bavinck. Now, we have to make that with qualification, right? Because Herman he's, uh, uh he's a Presbyterian, right? So there's going to be some differences there when we think about the doctrine of the church and baptism and even, you know, God's covenant, thinking about some of those things. But overall, right, apart from that, super, super helpful. But it's like 5,000 pages, right? So that's like really, really thick. And and the the reason why is because he spends so much time not only developing the thought biblically, right, and trying to put all these things together, but then working it through the history of the church. How has the church thought about this, right, and putting these things together? So what I I do want to do, because the, these works were literally released, I think, you know, ten, fifteen years ago, right? They were just translated out of Dutch. There is an abridged, uh, one-volume version, and I will commend that to you, right? Um, and if you want an even shorter version, right, uh, Louis Burkoff will be that that shorter version, right, which will be like the like succinct bovink, you know, abridged. So. So I do, j- j- before, before I give this quote, I did want to just give that by way of like recommendations. sometimes. It's like, hey, what are like good resources? And I've tried to put some of those on the bottom there. Unfortunately, uh, with, the, with the Bob Inc. one, that is not available through your library. So that, w- that will be a purchase, and, uh, and, and that's not cheap. But with that being said, I, I just want to commend that to you all because I've been super helped by some of these different books and wanted to put some of these things forward. So, um, where are we? All right. So, so Bavink, so he's working through uh, the doctrine of God's simplicity. And so one of the things that he says, and I thought it was really helpful, um, when he says, uh, th- thinking about God's name, he says, when the church fathers in their attempt to determine the nature of God's being started with the name Yahweh and described him as being, right? Be- being being a philosophical term borrowed from the Greeks, right? They had in mind not not, not God's being apart from his attributes, but the total fullness of God's being as it exists and is revealed in his attributes. Hence, the being ascribed to God was not an abstraction, right? Where it's like you're deducing things and it's becoming more and more minimal. But in fact, it's the opposite, but a living infinitely rich and concrete being, a supreme being at once identical with supreme life, supreme truth, supreme wisdom, supreme love, etc. And then he quotes Augustine, as Augustine repeatedly said and hence an ocean of boundless being. The description of God as being was used to indicate that he is the sum total of all Reality, it certainly did not mean that he is abstract being, being without content, right? Which, which is again, um, what happened uh, with 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 some some of the Greeks, uh, right? Um, uh, This idea of the uh, the absolute, right, in the philosophical sense of the world, and what he does is he 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 goes on uh, from this quote, and and he makes you know some contrast between what what some of the Greeks did and how it you know basically became reduced down to like we really don't know anything. And how uh, the church had used uh, these thoughts to really develop this idea to show God in his fullness, right? And to really try to put all these things uh, together to help us think, uh, um, uh, to think God's thoughts after him. Um, So, I know um, we have covered uh, some thick grass, right? We've we've, kind of walked through some thick grass, um, you know, so... What I want to do is pause. Do we have any questions or, or comments uh, before we kind of go on uh, to, our, to our next section?
1: It goes back to God's being. He doesn't, doesn't change his love. doesn't have degrees for us to love us the same thing as now, which is crazy to, to think about. Yes. But also, when you think about like, our sanctification and our walk as holiness and our sin, um, God he doesn't have moves for His love doesn't change We have a really bad day.
0: and and it's interesting right cuz when you think about when we think about god's essence right all of these things are working together and we make these distinctions in our mind which again we have to as creatures right to be able to comprehend some of this stuff but you see the overlap of all of it right like how like all those different thoughts right how how they how all of them necessitate each other right and they're all working together yeah that that's super helpful and it really in that sense it creates this beautiful picture right yeah that's great. All right, well, uh, so let, let's go. We'll go and hop into the the latter part of our notes here. So, really, what I wanted to do uh, from from this sense was, all right. So then, uh, I wanted to think of uh, and, and kind of following Sam Renahan from, from from what he has in his book, thinking about. Um, uh, God as being free of composition, right? So thinking about divine simplicity and then thinking of like four supporting reasons, right? And that's what we'll take the remainder of our time. So the first one's going to be all things composed are caused. Secondly, all things composed exist successively, right? So they exist like in moments of time, uh, one thing to the next. Thirdly, all things composed are imperfect. And fourthly, all things composed are mutable, or they are changeable. They can change from one degree to another. So on our notes, the first thing. All things composed are caused. So we're thinking about God's divine name, right? Uh, when he says in Exodus 3.14, I am who I am. The always supreme existent one who has life in himself, right? Who, who is in need of nothing, um, but this name would not properly belong to God if God were created, right? It, it, it would make no sense, right? Because God, when we say I am who I am, he always is, implying no beginning and no end, right? This this aspect of eternal. And we remember from Romans eleven thirty six, 36, all things, right, are from him and through him and to him. So there's this idea that God gets glory, right, from this aspect of being the creator um, because he is the uncreated one who creates, right? Who always is. And the technical term, right, that Pastor Des had used last week was this term, aseity, right? Uh, And again, we're using some of these technical terms. We don't, this is like not, you know, language that's used at the grocery store, right? But at the same time, it's important for us to learn and do some of the hard work of the language that the church has used through her history right to understand that so it 's this idea that God has life in himself, he exists in himself, and right we 're reminded from john five twenty six in fact, open your bibles to john five twenty six right real quick we 'll just turn there right this, this beautiful uh, phrase right when, um, when, when Jesus says it in, in john five <clears throat> In John 5, uh, 26. And if I can have a volunteer, he'd be willing to willing to read nice and loud for us from uh, John five twenty six.
1: 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself.
0: Yes. So this idea of having life in himself right we, we we think of uh uh you know what what we said earlier in regards to um uh to God existing and always is, so all these things are working together, so it's kind of it's, so it's a it's a logical deduction God is not created, but all created things um, uh ha- have parts right they 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 come together, and so because god it does not have a beginning right. He is, um, he is not composed because he doesn't have a cause. Uh, he is not caused. So, so there's that sense in which we, we, we negate that God is caused, but instead has life in himself. Secondly, so and again, we're going to see some overlap here. So secondly on your notes, all things composed exist successively. So when we talk about successively... We're talking about time, right? So in the same way that if something's created, it's created in time. It goes from what it wasn't, right, to what it is. And, and we see that that happens, and it happens through time. If God were composed of parts, he would not only have someone that composed him, but the parts put together, uh, you know, but, but someone who put the parts together, but it would also imply that there was a process that took place over time, right? And, and Sam Renahan uses a Lego kit, right? So you get going in the beginning with a Lego kit, right? You know, hour zero, you know, you got all the Lego pieces on the floor, right? And then, you know, hour one, you got, you know, several things, you know, snapped together, kind of working, putting together, right? Hour two, you know, if you're really smart, it's done, you follow directions. And then, you know, hour three, you've got your little, you know, Lego fidgety thing, right? Whatever it might be, right? You know, some cool ship or Star Wars or whatever it might be. So, but all that would take time, right? Because it takes time to develop and to come to what it is. But to use this language with God is not right, right? God, God is not made up of successive actions taking place over different time. Time is a created reality, and God exists over time. He's eternal in this other sense, right? Without time. He's the creator of time. Uh, so someone said this to me, and it, is, it still hurts my mind to think about. God always exists in the present, right? You know, we think about past, present, and future, and God always is in the present, right? All at once. And that is just really hard for us to think about. Right so we're making this distinction so if you're composed it has this aspect of time but that's not proper for us when we when we think about the lord right the i am who i am So third on our notes right so we've seen uh, all things that are composed or are parts are caused right because they go from something lesser to greater they com- they, they get put together by someone uh, that happens over time and then thirdly all things that are composed or put together are imperfect, right? Now, we're gonna use this language uh, and hopefully it'll be helpful. So Sam Renahan says, all things composed are imperfect because they are made up of more fundamental parts, right? But is not the thing composed, right, the thing put together, superior to the inferior parts that put it together, right? is not the sum total superior to the individual pieces. So, right, we go back to that, I guess that would be chemistry, uh, when we thought about water, right? The individual atoms, right, are one thing, but then when they make up water, it's something different and superior to those elements, right, or those those atoms. And so, um, but if a thing is superior, right, when it gets put together, it also means that it's possible for it to, to decompose, right? For it to be a building that starts to fall apart, right? In the same way that it was able to be put together, it can be taken apart. And so, when we think of those things, they are by nature imperfect, right? Because they have this this ability to change. Remember how we talked about that when we use the language of potential, it's not proper to God because it introduces to the thought of God as There's something more that God could be, right? And so we think of it in in that sense. When we say that God is perfect, it has has that sense to it, that there's nothing more that God could be. There's nothing more, right? And and because he's not put together, he can never be taken apart. Perfection requires no potential for change. And this this leads us in, so I know know, um, Pastor Des had said you know it'll be it'll be helpful as we go through um uh uh the book uh deity and decree right we think about the doctrine of God and the doctrine of uh god's decree it'll be helpful to reference right our our confession of faith right so in so in our confession right i know um if you go to you know chapter two on the doctrine of god in in uh section one so there's this phrase that's used, and really what we're doing is trying to unpack what what, what is understood when uh when, when our Baptist forefathers, right, were putting this together and really borrowing language previously from church history. So um in uh so in your in your um you know we call it the 1689 or the second London Baptist Confession of Faith, so in section two, paragraph one, um, so uh it says his essence cannot be understood by anyone but him, right? And that, that refers to that idea of perfect knowledge. Um, uh, he is perfectly pure spirit, right? Or I think, I think in like the, the, you know, the, the old language, it's, uh, it, it's the most pure spirit. Uh, he is invisible and has no body, parts, or changeable emotions, or, or, or the older term there is passions, right? And, and then it goes on. In, uh, unchangeable, immense, eternal, and, and things of that nature. But the thing that I want us to focus on here, and what we're trying to help connect, is this language of that God, he is a perfectly pure spirit. So when we use the term pure, uh, we, we can think of, for example, Renahan brings this out, we think of gold, right? And as you refine gold, you make it more pure, you are freeing it from its defect, right? And in that sense, you make it more valuable, right? And so in this sense, there is nothing in God that needs to be refined. But God is spirit, right? John 4, 24, right? God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So this idea of God is spirit, but he's not a created spirit. He's a perfect and pure spirit, a spirit that doesn't change. And so in that sense, Right, We can use that, that phrase, uh, and it's most um, uh, uh, that, that God is most pure uh, in, in that sense, or perfectly pure. So, I know we've covered a lot of ground. Lastly, what I want to do is we'll hit on this idea of mutability. So, again, I know that word. How many people are talking about mutability, right? Um, but, again, we're trying to use language connected to um, uh, the history of the church. So so then thirdly, we talked about, or sorry, fourthly, we talked about all things that are composed, right, are caused, they exist in time, right, they develop over time, and they are imperfect, right? Whatever they turned into, they can always be reduced down to. So then lastly, right, on your notes, that Inherent in all of this is this idea of change, right? This idea of going from something that's potential, right, to realizing potential, right? And so, if you will, connected with all of this is this idea that anything that is composed of parts, right, that has pieces that make it up, has the inherent ability that it can change, and yet we see over and over again, right? Malachi 3.6, right? The Lord is not one who changes. So, uh, so in, in that sense, it is good and proper for us. When, so when we think of the ideas of God's attributes, when we are negating something, right? We're trying to say God is not like his creatures in this sense. He's not composed of parts. He's not imperfect in the sense that he could be reduced down to something less than who he is right, or that he, um, uh, he doesn't need time, right, as though, uh, because time is what's needed in order to develop and grow into something. All these things are improper and wrong when we think about God, because God is the I am who I am. So. So to conclude, I think that is, again, using... Words that are uncomfortable or unfamiliar, right? But trying to connect our thoughts to the history of the church. And yet at the same time, getting to draw near, right? Go back, if you go, go into your notes, right, on your first page, right? Jeremiah 9, right? What should our response be, right? As we're thinking God's thoughts after him, right? Or, or, or attempting to, right? It's who do we get to boast in, right? It's not in our wisdom. It's not in our power, it's not in our strength, but we boast in the God who never changes, who is perfect in its purest form, who always exists and exists in Himself completely. Right. So, so with that, so any any thoughts or questions as we've again worked through um, some thicker thicker material. John, is that a hand up or are you covering the mouth? Or is that a yawn with the backhand? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Ernie. I'm
2: just glad that God, scripture, is condescending to us. Yes. The word anthropomorphic. Yes. Because, you know, as we maximize our knowledge of God, which we should, like what you said, we're we're like discussing the, the brink of the transcendence, right? Yes. Like
0: what you said, it hurts. It does. <laughs> it does. So
2: I'm just glad that God is able to talk to us in a way that we can understand, and the rest of it is we praise him.
0: You know? Yes. Yes. Yeah, Kareem. Corinne. Mm. Yeah, isn't that super helpful to be able to like think in those kind of categories, and and then to be able to respond to the Lord, you know, to to trust Him more, right? Because because I think that, that's what it should do. As we think of God in His perfection, it doesn't make us draw back, right? It draws us in. It's like, Lord, I see my creatureliness in so many ways, right? And th- this is creatureliness apart from sinfulness, right? Sinfulness just makes it all the worse right? It's like, not only do I need God the creator, I need God as a redeemer, right? To be able to draw near. Um, yes, yeah, so it is. It's, it's, it's really beautiful to be able to think about. Yeah, Anthony and I then Amber. I've
2: been thinking about uh, Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3, verse 14 through 18. Uh, it says, I know that everything God does will remain forever. There's nothing to add to it. There's nothing to take from it. For God has so worked that, the men, that men should fear that which is Uh, That which has been already, and that which will be has already been, for God seeks what is passed by. Furthermore, I have seen under the sun that in the place of justice there is wickedness, and in the place of righteousness there is wickedness. I said to myself, God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man for a time, for a time, for every matter, and for every deed there is. I said to myself, concerning the sons of men, God has surely tested them in order for them to see that they are but beasts. Mm. So yes. It's putting God up and
0: that we know He's God we are not. Yeah. It's interesting because a class uh, classic Ecclesiastes really helps picture that, right? And 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 then and then capture this idea of, of, of then suffering, right, in light of that and you know how the ungodly man thinks about it, right? And then how the godly, right, think about and relate to the Lord in that way. But yeah, at the same time still making that creature to di- creature. Cre- yeah, distinction, right? And it's like we're just but beasts, right? Or it's like, yeah, no, exactly. Hey, Amber you had your hand up. It, I just heard it in the last fifteen minutes of this closet. But it's interesting to think about how
1: though God never changes, our view of him actually continually changes.
0: Yes. Even when we're in heaven, we're we'll continually seeing more clearly and more of the glory. And he's the same, but we still continue to see his perfect perfection. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You, th- you think of right. It's always constant. Yeah. You think about um. Was it First Corinthians thirteen? We see now, uh, though dimly. What is it? As in a glass or as in a mirror? Right. Where it's like it's like shady, smoky now. Right. But becoming more and more clear. Yeah. But but truly. Right. Even even what we get now. You're like, wow. This is insane. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. All right. Well, let's go ahead. Let's, let's go ahead and close. We'll thank the Lord for our time, and then we'll head in for, for corporate worship. Father, we worship you this morning, and thank you that through the Lord Jesus Christ and the abiding presence of the Spirit, we draw near, and we do worship you. And now we ask that you would uh, help solidify these things in our mind. You would draw our hearts closer in worship, and you would help us as we go in uh, to think about you and to worship you and to love you as you continue to reveal yourself uh, through the word and by the spirit. And we ask that you would do this for the glory of your namesake. Amen. All right, you are dismissed.